Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we talk about how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, still Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good, especially since school's kind of slowing down now for the summer. Not done, but it, it moves Winding a lot down. slower. Good weather is here for the most part, though we've got, you know, tornadoes to be concerned about. Right. My house has that, a shelter, though, which is nice. That just uh, uh, tempts me even more to, to play golf. So I'm not sure if it's all Listen, a good I'm, thing. But. I mean, I'm out there on the. Yeah, that's that's true, because I'm I'm there are some times where I'm like, the weather's perfect right now. I want to go throw some discs and you want to yep. go hit a ball. You know, but it's good. Happy about the weather. Uh, and even though we might rather be outside, uh, we're excited, I think, for this episode. It'll be good. This is kind of our, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to what I mean here in a second, this is kind of our first uh, listener-requested episode. 18 yeah, episodes in. We got one. That's that's exciting. We did keep, it. <laughs> keep, keep, uh, keep coming up with, with uh, stuff and sending us stuff and asking us questions. Yes. This is, this is fun to do. Uh, if you have any ideas for us to talk about or want us to ba- maybe build on some of the things that we've talked about before, go in some kind of rabbit trail thing, we can absolutely chase rabbits on this podcast. That's what it's all about. Aside from the theology thing, this is where we get to chase the, our rabbits. I was going to say, uh, I, I would almost define theology as rabbit chasing, but I, I think that's what good good theologians do is they just know how to chase rabbits all over the place. And and we want to teach you how to do that as best as you possibly can. It's a hunting podcast. Uh, we're hunting rabbits. If you have any topic suggestions or criticisms or critiques or whatever, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with Spencer and I uh, individually on Facebook. Just message us and we'll get that from you. You can also get to Spencer on Twitter if you're one of those tweeter kind of people. Which you all should be. Haven't been there for like a year or so. My life's been better ever since. There's some there's some theology for you. It's application. My life's at peace. Twitter made me famous, so I'm never going to to, to leave it. You owe it. Uh, Why this topic today? Of sanctification. Well, as I mentioned a second ago, it was this is really our first kind of listener requested episode. Spencer and I both uh, had people uh, independently from one another, uh, people that we we preached to. Right? It was somebody within your within the congregation where you're at, right, Spencer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, same for me. Uh, Message Justin said, "Hey, we would love to know." Uh, some more about kind of the discipleship process, what all that means, as well as you know what is what is my role in the uh, bringing up of a new Christian and that sort of thing. So, sanctification is what was born out of that. This episode here in addressing both of those things. So, uh, thank you to uh, those that asked about this subject and. Uh, we're looking forward to talking about it. Something that's, I think, very practical uh, and will be helpful for you if you are a new Christian, 
uh, as well as uh, if you've been a Christian and you're around new Christians, and I hope that you are, uh, as to what things you might be able to do uh, in the sanctification process. Uh, But as we begin here, sanctification is one of those big church words, Spencer. (laughs) Define it for us. I love big church words. I do too, when I know what they mean. (laughs) What does sanctification mean? Yeah, so the the uh, this kind of sanctification process, as you mentioned, kind of these questions were built on what we talked about baptism, particularly baptism being a a, a beginning point. Yes. And so, a, as a Christian, kind of our life starts at, at baptism and it ends death, heaven. But we have this this life in between, and what what do we do? How are we to be living? How are we to be helping and encouraging other people during this process? What's kind of going on in this in between? And the, as you said, the big church word is sanctification. It's a sanctification process that takes place between these two poles, the baptism, the beginning of our Christian journey, and then heaven, eternity, the end of this uh, Christian journey. And in the middle, you have sanctification. And the word sanctification uh, – comes from the word for holy, and from holy we get other terms. Uh, saints, consecration, sanctification are all, in essence, the same word. They all mean the, the same thing. We just get kind of these different words that apply to, to different people or different things. So as many of you may know, we typically define holy or holiness as something that's set apart and generally, when Scripture's using it, it's talked about being set apart for God or for service to God. So if, if something is sanctified, consecrated, holy, if someone is referred to as a saint, uh, typically we're talking about some object, object or some person that's been set apart in this way, that's been set apart for service to God. And so we may think about the, the Israelite temple— that was consecrated, it was made holy, right? The, the temple was set apart for specific service to God, particularly the rituals and sacrifices of, of Israel. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was, God's dwelling place. And so it was set apart, made holy for these specific purposes, for these specific services to God. Similarly, Israel is called in Leviticus 19 to be holy as God is holy. And I think that that's one of those passages in the Old Testament that really define for us who the people of Israel were supposed to be. I think about Israel's vocation in Exodus before giving of the Ten Commandments that's then picked up later by Peter to apply to the church of Israel being God's special people. Again, you have the idea of them being a holy nation, They've been mm-hmm. set apart for God. They are meant to be a light to the world. So you even have holiness wrapped up there. And when Israel uh, gets their, their name, it means to wrestle with God. And so we kind of have a couple of these little passages that help define for us who Israel is. And one of them is that they are to be holy as God is holy. They are to be set apart for service to God. And again, I think that connects to their vocation. They are set apart to be the people of God, uh, to be God's ambassadors in the world, to be a light for God to all of the nations. Uh, 
And Leviticus 19 actually moves on and talks about some ways that Israel is to live as this kind of set-apart people that identifies them as people set apart as God's people, set apart to serve God. And so that's the idea of sanctification. It's to be holy. It's to be set apart for service to God. And like I said, this kind of imagery with Israel is picked up in the New Testament and referred to as the church. So as Christians who've been baptized, we're set apart at that point for God. We're made a part of the people of God. And our life is a sanctification process of becoming more and more holy, becoming more and more holy as God is holy, to pick up that Leviticus 19 kind of language, to become more and more set apart from the world and to become more fully the the people that God always created and designed us to be. Uh, there you go. I, I I don't think there's a better way to explain it. I do think um, uh, one of the things we talked about in that that baptism episode in particular, which was what two two episodes ago, I think. Um, I think so. Uh, a couple episodes or so ago, uh, dealing with baptism being this transformative moment. Uh, but there there is, as one of my instructors put it, uh, you become a Christian. So you're, you're out of the world, you're in this relationship with God, within his kingdom and all of this, uh, now what? You know, you're, you're on the other side of the fence, as it were, but there's still a transforming process that takes place now as this child in Christ to maturity, moving away from the world. Uh, moving closer to God, more importantly, uh, and all of that. So uh, I think it's, I think one of the things you said there that's probably most important to keep in mind uh, for those those listening, and it highlights why having an understanding of the Old Testament uh, and these cycles that appear through there with Israel's wrestling with God uh, is, uh, that is very much the sanctification process. There is a lot of uh, there's a lot of error, there's a lot of struggle, uh, but there's also a lot of grace and mercy that comes uh, within that process. Uh, so as we think about sanctification, the journey of every Christian, uh, that is uh, that is what it means to be a person of God in this place, uh, is to continually be making this struggle towards Him, uh, avoiding these other things, uh, seeking after Him, uh, and growing in the process the whole time, and sharing his image uh, the whole time as as we go here. Uh, Spencer, I think there is a, a text you wanted to focus on today, making this very simple for all of us, which I, I quite appreciate. Uh, Colossians 3 uh, really kind of lays out for us the whole sanctification journey from uh, start to finish here, or even, even pre- baptism and and all of this. So, uh, Spencer, uh, why don't you break down for us uh, Colossians Colossians 3 here? Yeah, so Colossians, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and I just want to kind of really briefly just kind of run through this passage because I think it does a good job of uh, defining for us what this sanctification process looks like, what the process of being made holy. And again, I, I, I want to emphasize that language. I use it intentionally being, we are being made holy. We're not making ourselves holy. 
That's something yeah. that we can't do. It's God who is making us holy, and it's a journey that we're on with God as God, uh, through his Spirit, is transforming us and making us more holy, making us more like God. And it's that lifelong journey that we take with God that culminates in the next life where we fully achieve this holy status, where we fully achieve life in the way that God created and designed us to live. And so this is the process that we're going through of allowing God uh, to make us holy, of making decisions, making choices that allow God uh, to work on us during this process. And we could go to a ton of places, look at a ton of passages, but I like Colossians 3 because I think in a very simple way we get the the basic structure, if if we can use that kind of language, the basic structure of the sanctification process. So Paul begins here in verse 1 of chapter 3 by saying, If then you have been raised with Christ, which is baptismal language, which connects us to kind of how this whole uh, episode started. Of If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been baptized, which as we talked about with baptism, it's dying to an old self, it's dying to sin, and rising to a new life in Christ. And so Paul is saying, if you've done that, if you've been baptized and now you find yourself in Christ— have now received your citizenship in Christ's kingdom, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Which that just kind of seems to make sense. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, then strive after the things that are of Christ. He says, verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, again, baptismal language, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul says, when you've been baptized, you start this Christian journey. He says, this is a journey of setting your minds on the things of Christ. So that naturally leads to, well, what does it look like? What does it look like to set our minds on the things above, to set our minds on the things of Christ? And notice again, Paul uses the word mind. That's a... A, a word, an idea that we find throughout Paul. Paul very much wants to focus on if we change the way that we think, it's going to change the way that we live. Uh, all the actions that we take begin in the mind. And so Paul says over and over and over throughout his letters that our thinking has to change so that our and our lives will come along with that. So we first start changing the way that we think so that that impacts then the way that he lives. So What does it look like to set our minds on the things of Christ? Well, he continues in verse 5 and says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another. And so on the one hand, to set our minds on things of Christ is to to put to death the old self, which is then connected with baptism. Uh, again, if, if you haven't listened to the, the baptism episode, I would really encourage you to, because one of the things we talked about is that baptism is putting to death our old life, our life before Christ, our life in sin, 
And Paul says that means you put to death the way that, to put to death that life means to put to death that lifestyle, to put to death living that way. And Paul really focuses on the way we interact with one another. The first list of things that he has here that he says to put to way to put away have to do with sexual sins. They all really carry some kind of sexual overtone in what they're talking about. But to commit a sexual sin is always to sin against another person. There's always going to be two people involved, no matter what it is that you're doing. But then the second list of things that he says you put away are also very relationship-oriented. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, don't lie. It has to do with the way that we speak and the way that we treat other people. And that's going to carry on to, Paul says, you put to death these things, that life before you were baptized, before you create became a Christian. And then skipping down to verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's our sanctification language. People who have been made holy are in the sanctification process of becoming more holy. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this new life that Paul tells us to put on, this is the new life post-baptism, the new Christian life, the new life of sanctification is first once again characterized by how do we relate and how do we treat one another. In the same way that Paul says, as a Christian, you no longer treat other people by exploiting them in a sexual way. You no longer treat other people with anger or wrath wrath or malice or slander or obscene talk. You don't lie to each other, but rather you treat other people with compassion, kindness, humility. You put their needs above yourself, meekness, patience. You bear with one another. You forgive one another. And Paul says, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You could really define all these things with the term love. He says that the Christian life is a life of love. It's love for other people. How are you treating others? But it's also a love for God because Paul ends with worship language. And so the life of sanctification is a life in right relationship with other people. It's also a relationship that's in right relationship with God that manifests itself in our worship and praise of God. God. If we go back to the fall at the very beginning where sin first came in that ruined everything, what what did it ruin? It it ruined humanity's relationship with one another, with the creation itself, as well as with God. And Mm -hmm. so in Christ, what God is trying to renew, the new life he's trying to bring about for all of creation is fixing these relationships, putting humanity back in correct relationship with one another with God's creation, and with God himself. 
And that's what the sanctification process is. Paul says, put away this old life that was in wrong relationship with God and with people and with creation and put on this new life that lives in right relationship with other people, this new life that lives in right relationship with God. And to me, this passage actually culminates right in the middle, in the second half of verse 9 and through to verse 11. He says, Paul says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. So we've gone through this process. We've been baptized. We've put to death our old self and we've begun this new life of sanctification, living in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. And he says this new life, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The, the sanctification process is a process that's moving towards being renewed in the image of our creator. It's a process of being transformed to look like God, to look like Christ. At the very beginning, We're told in Genesis that all humanity has been created in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. And what I believe that means is that we're meant to reflect God back into the world. We are God's royal representatives who represent God to the rest of the world. But because of sin, our image bearing ability is flawed. It's broken. I I, I like to describe it as as a mirror. We're meant to be mirrors for God, to reflect God's image back into the world. But because of sin, our mirror is cracked. And so it still, to some extent, reflects God, because I would argue that any good thing that a human being does is done because of God. It's them living out of the part of themselves that's created after God's image, because we don't do anything good on our own. It's because we're image bearers of God. And so we still have some of that image-bearing ability, but it's flawed. That mirror is broken. It no longer perfectly reflects God. And so the sanctification process, the process of being made holy, of being in right relationship with God and other people, is a process of fixing that mirror, of restoring our image-bearing ability to where we can once again fully reflect God back into the world. And that's seen in the way that we relate with God and with God's creation, both human beings and the created order itself, which if you remember going back to Genesis, part of the royal job as representatives of God that Adam and Eve had was to have dominion over the creation itself, was to steward the creation. Mm-hmm. And th- that's been broken as well because of sin. And so that's the ultimate goal of the sanctification process, to, to be made holy, The way we live between baptism and heaven is a life to be transformed to better reflect the image of God. It's a life where we allow the Spirit of God to work within us, to transform us, and to begin to fix the cracks in that mirror to where we once again are in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. We may think of the fruit of the Spirit as well, of the the results of the spirit doing this kind of work in our lives. And it, it's, it doesn't come to full fruition in this life. The, our mirror is never fully fixed now. That's why we await the next life when everything will be made right once again, 
where we will become the full image bearers of God that we were created to be and live in perfect relationship, not only with God, but also with one another, with God's creation as a whole. And so that's kind of the the process that we're on of being transformed to look like God, to be the full image bearers that we've been created to be in our relationship with God, the creation, and our fellow image bearers, our fellow human beings. As uh, as Spencer said a few times there in uh, Breaking Down Cautions 3, the sanctification process is very much a, a process uh, in a beginning journey to moving towards the end and everywhere in between. It's uh, It has its difficulties, its challenges, and the whole while uh, you are being made more into God's image and... Uh, as Spencer said there, as, as to what that means. And I believe we've talked about that on a previous episode as well, uh, of showing the the Creator back into uh, this world here. Uh, that process is going to be difficult. And so as we, as we wrap these things up, uh, we thought it would be good to talk, uh, just, just mention a few things about those of us that have been on the journey for a while, that have maybe been in the process for some amount of time, uh, what is our responsibility to those um, those beginning the process, uh, and, and how can we relate? We've got a few written down here. Uh, I think uh, I'll I'll mention them. We'll just play off of them and go from there. Uh, one of the best things you can do, number one, is uh, extend grace. Uh, the the wrestling, Israel's wrestling with God, uh, being their name, uh, and that being part of the sanctification process. Those that are new to Christianity, those that are just starting out in this process, are going to make a lot of mistakes, as we all do, and hopefully we we grow out of that to some degree. That's part of the process. Uh, as those things are trained out of us as we put the old off and put uh, these other things on, as we looked at a moment ago. Uh, those mistakes should become less and less, but they are very prevalent uh, at the beginning. Uh, if you are using my instructor's illustration that I mentioned earlier, just on the other side of the fence, okay, the world's very much in reach. Uh, your past life, the things that you've put to death, have only just been put to death. You, you haven't you haven't uh, moved on from them very far, uh, and so you can slip back into those things uh, very easily sometimes. And so having grace with those making the journey is extremely important, um, giving them some some room in the mistakes, because God does, uh, and people need to see that in us as well. Anything to add there uh, on grace, Spencer? No, I, I think that just like you said, it's we all make mistakes and uh, we've we've got to extend the same grace to other people. Not only that we want extended to ourselves, but the same grace and mercy that God has extended to us. Our grace that we give to others is just an extension of the grace that God has already given to us. And by definition, it's something that we don't deserve and by definition, it's something that we continue to receive, even though we continue to make mistakes. And so we have to to make sure we keep that in mind as we, especially as we're dealing with uh, new Christians, because that that's the most difficult part of their uh, the most vulnerable 
part of their journey is very early on where it's easy to uh, say something, to do something, to treat them in a way that could turn them off from the church forever after just a little bit of interaction with the church. And so uh, what you said just is so important, especially for longevity uh, in the, the Christian walk, which is what we, we have to have being faithful to the end. Yeah, don't don't let those mistakes pull the person back to where they were. You know, help help to move them forward uh, through those things uh, with grace. Uh, number two, you might think about teaching uh, as well, uh, both in just direct uh, showing this this is what this is what God wants to see as we become more in His image. Uh, these are some of the practices and things we just read through. Paul lays out for us in Colossians three. Uh, there, some of those actions to do those things to put into our lives through the Spirit as well, as we mentioned there. Uh, teach those things, instruct those things, but also as an example and model of those things, show the new Christian in the way that you live, that sanctification process at work. Uh, what what happens when you've been in it for a while uh, and have grown and matured to to some degree to become holy like he is holy? Uh, model those things and make sure then the direct application is be consistent and watch yourselves very closely uh, to to keep hypocrisy out uh, there and all of those things. Any thoughts yeah. there, Spencer? People need someone to model these things for them, someone that they can follow and model their lives after. I, I, I want to say this, which kind of applies to really where we're going with the rest of these uh, couple of application points that we have down yeah. here, uh, particularly for the, the, the new Christian of what maybe a little bit more specifically, what does this life of sanctification look like? Because the, the problem is, is that we can, uh, we could spend the rest of the year talking about things that you ought or ought not to do as a part of this process being a Christian, because there's so many different situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in that we have to figure out, well, what's the correct response? What's the correct thing to do? And so on and so forth. And so my my answer with the the place to start for a new Christian is with what throughout Christian history have been referred to as the spiritual disciplines, worship, prayer, the Lord's Supper, uh, even things like meditation and journaling and fellowship. And there's all of these spiritual disciplines because what spiritual disciplines do is they orient us towards God. And the problems in our life come when we orient ourselves towards something else, through something in the world, towards ourself, Mm -hmm. and aren't oriented. In other words, not looking at God. If we're looking at God, it becomes a lot easier not only to live in the right way, but to be able to make the right decisions for what to do. Because that orientation towards God is something that over time will transform the way that we think. The more time we spend looking at God, the more we're going to learn how to think like God. Uh, Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, when he opens up that application section, that uh, rather than being conformed to this world, we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds that we may discern what the will of God is. That Discerning means that we may figure out what the will of God is. And I think the idea there is we're going to find ourselves in situations 
where there's not a chapter and verse to turn to, to figure out what we should do. An example that I like to give is with social media, right? They didn't have social media in the first century, so we're not going to find a chapter that addresses how to live or how to present ourselves on social media. We have to take principles from other places and figure out how to apply those to our social media presence. And that takes discernment. It, It takes us figuring out how to think more like God to be able to do that. And the only way to do that is to spend time looking at God, to spend time with God, to spend time with God's people. So the more that we engage in these practices, the more our thinking's going to change, which is how Paul begins Colossians 3. Set your mind on the things that are above. Set your mind on the things of Christ. So that when we find ourselves in different situations, faced with different circumstances, we're able to discern, to think through, to figure out what we should do what we should say, how we should respond, how we should act as people created after the image of God. In other words, it's to figure out how in this situation do I ref- best reflect God's image back into the world. And the only way to do that is to spend time with God. And going back to our point here of that teaching, preaching, stuff like that is a part of it, uh, those spiritual practices, but people also especially new Christians, need us to model for them what it looks like to spend that time with God. Yes, and I think to to close this uh, to close this out, just alongside everything that you've said there, do those things outside of Sundays and Wednesday evenings as well. Uh, be involved in that process all the time. Call, call the new Christian and pray with them. Get together with them now in your homes. We're we're starting to be able to do that again. So uh, invite them into your home or meet with them somewhere and have a time of fellowship with one another and constantly serve as this model of uh, those doing holy things, Christ-like things, bearing his image in the world. If if you go visit, if that's something that you are uh, you are gifted with uh, to be able to go and visit and uh, see others in their time of need, take those with you. Take new Christians with you uh, and show them this is what Christ in the world looks like uh, and constantly be a, a model of those things uh, in in teaching, in the spiritual disciplines. Constantly do that. Uh, and that is one of, that I, I think is the best way that we are going to uh, be able to uh, join in this journey of sanctification with others uh, and help them further along down that road. And then at some point, teach them to do the same thing as well, uh, to mm-hmm. bring new Christians up with them. That's that's the discipleship model, uh, is train so that they can train, so that they can train, and we keep this going uh, through the generations until uh, the one that we are uh, image-bearing for uh, returns. That's, I mean, there it is. This is a good episode, especially coming off of uh, all these modern-day idolatry ones. It was nice to have uh, one that's just altogether a, a lot more positive, I think. <laughs> we didn't have to contrast anything uh, negative necessarily, except for the put-to-death section, but, you know. Yeah, right. but it, 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 it was a little more positive. <laughs> a little more happy and that. upbeat. We'll be sure to change that here. And <laughs> oh yeah, ne- ne- next week I'll find the we'll, or two weeks we'll find the most depressing thing to talk about. 
That's that. the perfect segue. Uh, we'll give a theology of death time. or something like that. <laughs> tune, tune in next time for the most depressing episode we've ever recorded. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the most depressing. You tell Bring us. Bring your tissues. Come listen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on Thinking Theologically. As always, if you have any topics or questions or uh, things that you would like us to pursue, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get in touch with us personally. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time.